season one episode meh, four or five I'm not sure of fruit loops podcast uh fruit loops is a uh podcast about true crimes perpetrated by uh people of color the ones that we don't hear about often because well the news is racist and uh we are wendy and beth she's wendy i'm Mm -hmm. beth Mm -hmm. we're not journalists investigators or psychologists just a couple of gals interested in true crime that's right one thing i forgot to mention trigger warning this episode deals with familiacide and the murder of young children so the content discussions and opinions may be disturbing to some listeners listener discretion is advised okay okay so we are uh this is the second part of our clementine barnabet did i say that right Clementine Bar- so. yeah. Clementine Barnabet episode and uh Clementine is regarded as uh America's first black female serial killer. Shout out to Clementine. <laughs> uh, I don't know so- if that's appropriate, but <laughs> it's probably not. It's probably not. But yeah. whatever. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So um I don't have any serial killer news. Um, I don't have any serial killer news either. But it sounds like you might have a shout out or a recommendation. I do. I have a recommendation for a television show. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I'm surprised that it's not like really popular because it's really good. <laughs> but okay. everybody, everybody I talk to about it has not seen it. And I think the reason why is because it's on CBS All Access, which is a pay channel, uh-huh. um, like streaming channel. Mm-hmm. So it's it's su- super cheap. <laughs> it's five dollars really? a month. Yeah, five dollars a month. Okay. Um. So the TV show is The Good Fight, which okay. is a spinoff from the TV show The Good Wife. Oh. And uh, yeah. Okay. Full disclosure. Okay. There are a lot of white ladies in this show. <laughs> oh boy. But it's but it is a show uh, about a mostly black law firm, and the writing is really good. And, uh, yeah, it's really good. And, um, it's only, like I said, it's only on CBS all access, which you have to pay for, but that also has the new Star Trek on it, which features a black woman as the lead character. So there's that. What? Yeah. On Star Trek? On Star Trek. Yeah. The lead character. Oh my gosh. And, um, in the, the good fight. Kush Jumbo is in it, and she is really good. I'm not familiar with Kush Jumbo. She's an English actress. Uh, she pl- she plays an American. You cannot tell she's English. Her accent, her American accent is really good. Oh. But uh, yeah, she's a woman of color. Ooh, okay. So uh, I will have to I'll have to add that to my queue. Definitely, anyway. definitely see- add on CBS All Access. Like I said, it's super cheap. It's $5 a month. You could pay for one month and watch all the episodes. I think there's two seasons on there right now. Okay. And uh, then, you know, unsubscribe. Hey, what's the name <laughs> of it again? The Good Fight. The Good Fight. Okay. Okay. I'm um like for real is going to check it out. So definitely do that. Oh, I wanted to. I just kidding. I do have a new podcast shout out. Oh, you do? Okay. I do. Okay. So, um. This is a recommendation for a true crime podcast about people of color 
and by people of color. And it is two dudes. I'm looking on my phone right now because this is so uh, I just found this like Friday. Oh, um, it is called. Where you at? Okay, affirmative murder. Like, get it? Affirmative action. Ah. <laughs> and they changed their name. <laughs> it used to be serial for serial. So they used serial, you know, S E R I A L and C E R I A L. Oh, um, okay. And so they've been around for a little while. It's two black dudes, and they um, talk about um, true crime. And their last episode was about uh, this uh, little black kid who. Um, he, uh, was in Chicago and he was initiated by the, uh, black disciples. They're this big old bad gang in Chicago and to initiate him, they told him that he had to kill a bunch of people. The kid, um, he had a messed up life. He did it. Um, and then they just tell the tale about, um, the aftermath and they go into detail about how damaged the character was, this little boy, um, they, they, I don't know. I, I, I just started listening to it, but I had to just share that it's really good. What, stuff. What's it called again? It's called affirmative murder, like affirmative action. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> it's, it's affirmative murder, and it's two black guys, and they're pretty good storytellers. Um, and they give insight. Um, that we probably haven't ever heard before. I've never heard a black dude talk about true crime yeah. um, anywhere. So it, I just think it's a fresh perspective and I really cool. like it and recommend listening to it. All right. I just put it on my list. Okay, cool. All right. Um, any other news? I don't have any other news. Okay. Oh, one thing I would like to announce to all of our um, listeners is happy Juneteenth, everybody. I hope I hope it was lit as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, let's continue diving into this stuff. We left off last week when Clementine gave her confession to a reporter. Um, this was on April 2nd, 1912, and the reporter was Mr. R.H. Broussard, uh, who was a reporter for the New Orleans Item. It's a fairly lengthy confession with a lot of detail, so we won't mm-hmm. read the whole thing, but we <laughs> will link it in our show notes so you can read it if you want to. But in it, she claimed that she and some acquaintances, two men and two women, met with a voodoo priest who sold them kanjas, and by that she meant hoodoos, and hoodoos, uh, can you explain what they are, Wendy? Um, Hoodoos, uh, they, uh, so a hoodoo is a, a spell. So hoodoo is to cast a spell or bewitch someone or um, to uh, be enchanted. Um, So these were magical, enchanted things. (laughs) Yeah, like extra blessings so that they could get away with murder. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So what they were supposed to do was give them the power to do as they pleased and not get caught. Mm -hmm. They hadn't thought to do any murders when they brought the hoodoos or when they bought the hoodoos. But while discussing what they might be able to do with them, they wondered if they could get away with murder. So they decided to try it. 
and they drew uh, <laughs> lots and Clementine drew the first one. And so she was chosen to commit the first murder. She claims she went to rain dressed as a man and committed the first murders. She then returned to Lafayette and told her acquaintances what had happened. And they watched with interest to see if she would get caught when she was not, they decided that the hoodoos were working. Uh, she then told of how they had killed the family at Crawley, explaining every detail. She claimed that the children were killed so that they would not suffer as orphans. Oh, round of applause for Clementine. Thank you. <laughs> how nice. Yeah, how, how nice of her. <laughs> <laughs> when she described the Andrews family murder, she claimed that she was near the house when the bodies were found, and she interjected herself into the drama. Stating that she went to the parents' house to notify them of what happened and that she even helped to prepare the bodies for burial. Clementine was asked by the reporter if there had been any agreement made not to tell on one another. And she said that there had been such an agreement made, but she wanted to tell her own part of it so as to clear her conscience. Oh, she has one. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> theoretically. <laughs> She gave the names of her accomplices to police officers, but all of that information was proven as fabrications. Sheriff Lacoste and deputies uh, followed up every possible clue, uh, hoping to uh, completely solve the mystery of the murders. Clementine's confession was received with varying degrees of belief. It, yeah, you're telling me. <laughs> it, it was difficult to keep Clementine's story straight. Huh. Yes, she had previously testified in court that her father was the man behind the murders, but they kept happening after he was jailed. She gave names of her accomplices, but when Sheriff Lacoste investigated them, they went nowhere. Several arrests were made, but the search for the rest of the human, human five gang. Human five gang. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're the, we're the human fives. Human five, human we're the five. human fives We're gang. the human five. I know. And then, and then they're, they're like throwing up gang signs, but it's yeah. just, it's just jazz hands. <laughs> jazz hands. <laughs> we're the human five. <laughs> it was a dead end. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. The district attorney, Howard E. Bruner, theorized that some of these murders were copycat crimes, but he believed that Clementine was a moral pervert who was guilty of everything she confessed to. Um, by the way, Clementine admitted to caressing some of the corpses after she had killed them, regardless of their gender or age. Nice. Mm. So, April 4th, 1912, Clementine was indicted uh, by a grand jury. Uh, and then on April 5th, the next day, she told police that uh, jo Joseph Thibodeau, uh, the voodoo doctor... Wait a minute. The Canadian Prime Minister? Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's Justin. Oh. Oh, he's, he's so, so dreamy. dreamy. So dreamy. <laughs> Those eyes. The hair. The body. I know. <laughs> no, this is Joseph. Joseph okay. Sorry, Thibodeau. <laughs> he is the voodoo doctor, not the Prime Minister of Canada. <laughs> he gave her the idea for the murders. This is terrible. I know. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, I'm gonna try to be serious now. Uh, so and then she made a full confession to the police. The other confession was to a uh, reporter. 
So she made a full confession to the police, admitting to 17 murders. Her motives for the crimes, however, have never been made clear. Yeah, I'm still kind of scratching my head about mm-hmm. that. I, um, <clears throat> I think the voodoo thing is uh, a, kind of a, a lame excuse. Bullshit. Yeah, it's bullshit. Yeah. So on April 12, 1912, in San Antonio, Texas, William Bartone, his wife and two children, and his brother-in-law, Leon Avers, were found murdered. The crime scene was similar to those in Crowley, Lafayette, and Rain. Authorities believed it to be the work of the same killer or killers. They began to note a geographical pattern to the crimes. Well, shout out to police work, right? Since (laughs) November 1911, authorities noticed that the killer or killers had been striking at stops along the Southern Pacific Railroad line. This made it simple for the axe murderer to anonymously travel from town to town, always out of sight and one step ahead of the authorities. In those days, it was fairly easy to hop on a freight train. I've seen it in movies. April 21st, 1912, Zephyrin Barnabet, uh, Clementine's brother, mm-hmm. uh, confessed that he and his father killed the Andrus family. He said that Clementine and a man named Ute Thomas, uh, Ute Thomas's son, Darman, and another woman acted as accessories to the crime. Uh, Raymond Barnabet was rearrested and Ute Thomas and his son were arrested. Now, this part confused me a little bit. How come? Like, why why did Zephyrin uh, confess? Um, did they That's interesting. bring yeah. him in? And, like, was it uh, one of those things where they're, like, beating him until he was like, okay, okay, I did it. My dad did it. Everybody did it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um. Uh- so I, I'm not clear on exactly what happened here, but whoops. <laughs> Ooh, was that your wine glass? That was my wine glass against another <laughs> glass. It sounded like, oh, let's check some listener mail. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, I just snorted. So, Keep yeah, I don't, in, don't, I don't know. Out. I don't know what happened. Uh, I, you know, I I was kind of wondering, the same, like, why, why would he confess? All of a I mean, sudden, he's like... April 21st, 2012, Zephyrin Barnabet confessed. <laughs> you yeah. know, like, what? Where did that come from? Yeah, where did the <laughs> confession come from? Because um, I, I just have to bring this up about false confessions. That mm-hmm. um, um, I, I, what comes to mind is there's this, uh, there was this police chief in Chicago. And um, from like the 70s to the 90s, his police department was responsible for the torturing of specifically oh black dudes. And they would take them to the train tracks in oh Chicago. What are those cattle? I think they're called cattle prods. And oh, they would yeah. put them on black dudes' oh gen- genitals and force them to Ugh. confess to crimes that they didn't commit. And the black dudes would just confess to get well, the yeah. get the torture yeah. over with. And it, you know what? It doesn't even have to be that much torture. People confess... Uh, because they're fucking tired. Yeah, it's like they've they're awake yeah. for twenty four. The police keep keep them up for twenty four hours. Yeah, they're tired and they're just like fuck it. I did it. Let me get out of here. Yeah, I just you know? want to go home. Yeah, I just want to go home. And I, I, 
Uh, I, it happens all it the happens time. It happens all the time. I mean, we saw make. We all saw making. We all saw right? making the murder. You, you yeah. saw what happened to little Brandon. Come on, yeah, poor guy. <laughs> so yeah, it happens, and I kind of wonder if that was the situation here, because like all of a sudden he's like, where he did confesses. this confession so, yeah, come from? Boom, yeah, I, he confesses. Yeah, yeah I was th- I was thinking the same thing. Um, later on August twentieth, nineteen twelve, in San Antonio, Texas, the Dashiell family was attacked. Miss Dashiell woke to the blinding pain of an axe cutting through her arm. The assailant had been aiming for her head, but had somehow missed and struck her arm instead. As Mrs. Dashiell began to scream, Mr. Dashiell awoke and fired a shot at the attacker. Yes! The attacker fled from the scene of the house, and Mrs. Dashiell was unable to give any sort of coherent description. But they survived. That, yeah, but they, yeah, they're alive. And with that, the 15-month murder spree came to an end. Yeah. Now it's time for the trial. I wish we had time a lawn, I wish we had a law and order sound effect. Oh well. Dun 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 dun. <laughs> <laughs> so on October twenty fourth, nineteen twelve, uh, Clementine Barnabet was taken to trial. She was tried for the Randall murders only, um, probably because they that was the crime where they found the dress that had the blood and the brains on it and they probably didn't have evidence for anybody else okay but anyway uh court records uh for her trial summarize were summarized and published by the federal writers project in 1942 and their account makes plain that there was a great deal of public confusion regarding the details of the case even at the time so even at the time, it was really confusing, and it's even more confusing now. Still confused. Still yeah. confusing. <laughs> For one thing, there was probably never a church of sacrifice, as the papers had said. Reverend Harris had preached in Lafayette the night of the Randall murders, but otherwise uninvolved. According to the Federal Writers Project, a state of confusion existed in the public mind regarding this sacrifice church the existence of which has never been established, and Harris's The Sanctified Church. It's possible that the words sanctify and sanctified were confused with sacrifice after uh, the voodoo cult rumors began to be spread, (laughs) and that the misinformation was spread from there. But the voodoo damage had already been done. The Lafayette population was willing enough to place the blame on a nebulous voodoo priestess committing murder while leading a sacrificial sect. It didn't help that Clementine had named a voodoo priest who had given the invisibility charm to her, Joseph Thibodeau, not Justin Trudeau. She said (laughs) that he also gave her the ideas for the crimes, but Thibodeau swore that had never happened and that far from being a voodoo priest he simply engaged in root-based medicine (laughs) one local paper explained to its readers that Thibodeau has ever been regarded as peaceful in disposition and harmless in intention and said he was noted for the practice of conjuring warts away hey 
they yeah, can drink. well, I think a lot of a lot of um, people who uh, practice any kind of uh, unusual medicine, or you know, especially back then, mm-hmm. um, there was a lot of natural medicine kind of you know you use herbs and Mm -hmm. you know whatever and people as uh christians uh think it's just satanic they're just like go automatically to satan just straight to satan straight let's you're using herbs you're like you're on a it must be (laughs) you're on the railroad to satan yeah it must be the devil and and also i i have to point out too that if if this was a, a black community um, that um, the people in this community probably didn't have access to hospitals and health health care. Um, like, like they couldn't just go to the white hospital. <laughs> like they would probably just die, bleed out in the waiting room and die. So, um, so uh, people like these witch doctors are probably very necessary in little communities. Yeah, like and there who... are herbs that do help, and mm-hmm. you know they they're not going to cure you of cancer, but. You know they do help, and and some of our drugs are based on herbs and, yeah, and yeah, things totally. that, yeah, yeah. So despite investigators' suspicions regarding Clementine's confession, the stories about her continued to circulate. While she sat in jail, she confessed to a total of thirty-five murders, but she kept retelling the story with different details that made it really hard to know what the truth was in court she allegedly said other families been marked for death and would pay the sacrifice um let's see well uh, i'm gonna give a description of the trial from one account and this is from um the realcrimedaily.com and uh according to their article the trial took place at the lafayette parish courthouse there was a sensational article written about the trial in the Ohio Mahoning Dispatch that recalled, with screams of hysterical laughter, the girl rocked back and forth in the witness chair, her great eyes rolling into the back of her head, barely any pupil showing. Amidst sharp commands from the court and quick questioning of the prosecutor, the woman told of how, because the Randall family had refused to obey the church orders, she had crept upon their cabin late on Sunday night with a keen-edged axe concealed in the folds of her cotton wrapper. She told of how, after she had thrown open the door of the tiny cabin, she crept upon the sleeping husband and wife, and before either could arouse, had split their skulls in twain. Maybe in two? With in, Well, in twain, I, th- I think that's probably what it said, but it's oh. like antiquated. Oh, Oh, see, girl, I don't understand. I don't really understand <laughs> these words. Twain? <laughs> With her death-dealing implement. She told how the four children on the floor started to cry out and how stealthy uh, tread she approached their trundle beds and swinging her axe killed two with one blow and then lay about her with quick swings, hacking the bodies of the two remaining children until they were scattered in bits about the room. As she completed the awful tale, she rocked to and fro and then said, and judge, that ain't all either. So that, that what you just read, the the article, I think that has to be like yellow journalism. It has to be like 
not true. <laughs> like just exaggerated because um, the the kids weren't hacked into pieces as far as I know. Yeah, I hadn't seen that anywhere other than in that article. Right. But um, I also didn't see many accounts of details of what happened in the courtroom. So, yeah, yeah. Um, that's why I... I um, oh, yeah. I mean, I'm, I, don't, I have no doubt that that's what the article said. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, they, they did like their... Uh, they liked their true crime back then, too. Isn't that a trip? Yeah. How even... Even just they, they the, since the beginning of time, <laughs> true crime has yeah. captivated everybody. <laughs> I think that's pretty cool. Okay. okay. So anyway, uh, the, in that article, the girl continued to tell of how when a family by the name of Andrus, living in an isolated section of the parish near the Mississippi River, had refused to obey the message from God, supposed to be the utterings of a voodoo doctor, what? Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I just See, got confused. The way these, the way these old people did, I mean, it's amazing we can get through this. I know. We'll okay. make it. We'll make it. Okay. I'm going to just start again. Okay. The girl continued of, to tell of how when a family by the name of Andrus, living in an isolated section of the parish near the Mississippi River, had refused to obey the message from God, supposed to be the utterings of a voodoo doctor who had been seen in this district. She, with other religiously crazed fanatics, went to the Andrus cabin in the dead of night and there, with axes, hacked the sleeping members, four in number, to pieces, Mm. ending their bloody orgy with weird prayers and incantations. I feel like I've seen an episode of this on that American Horror yeah, Story Yeah, American show. Horror Story. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so uh, on October 25th in 1912, her defense attorneys claimed that she was insane, but uh, she stood trial, was found guilty of the Randall murders, and she was sentenced to life at Louisiana Pen- Penitentiary. Oh, my God. Penitentiary. She went to prison at the age of 19. (laughs) In Louisiana. Yeah, okay. (laughs) So Clementine Barnabette was sentenced to life in prison at Angola State Penitentiary, which is the Louisiana Penitentiary. Ooh, it's a bad one. (laughs) Oh, I know. But even even now, I just heard heard just awful things about that prison. Angola, yeah. Yeah. In July, uh, you know what I've heard... Rotten things about Louisiana, too. Anyway. Ah! (laughs) Hot take alert, Beth. (laughs) In July of 1913, she tried to escape jail, but was caught before she even made it to the gate. Despite her escape attempt, she was considered a model prisoner. She didn't, however, serve very long. According to one brief report about the prison, Clementine received a procedure, which we don't know what that was. Yeah. Um, that was said to have restored her to her normal condition and which allowed her to be released on good behavior after serving 10 years. Hmm. In August 1923, Clementine Barnabet walked out of prison as, and was never seen or heard from again in the news, I suppose. Uh, yeah. Somebody probably heard about her. <laughs> yeah, somebody knew it. Yeah. But um, the procedure, um, I was wondering if it was a lobotomy. Yeah, I I wonder if that's what it was too. I mean, I 
I don't know what kind of uh, mental health medicine they were administering to people at the time, but um, yeah, I don't remember uh, exactly what time period it was, but there was a time when uh, lobotomies, well, they were experimental for a while, and then they were like giving out lobotomies like medicine, you know. And that's um, where they um, cut cut out a part of your brain. Um, they actually um, they basically take an ice pick uh-huh. and stick it through your not like your eye but it's like through your eye socket and um stick it into your brain and kind of wiggle it around okay okay <laughs> do they still do those no i don't think so okay <laughs> but you know what what happens is uh people um become very docile mm-hmm. it uh cuts a part of the brain that uh, i'm not a scientist so i don't know exactly but it it um it can cause you to like have very little emotion anymore oh so like a lot of people who have lobotomies they they don't feel much of anything anymore and so if they have anger issues then that kind of takes care of that oh well uh yeah i guess at least you don't have to worry about that anymore yeah but um they were doing it to like anybody who had emotional problems and like teenagers and you know they thought it was a cure-all and what it did was turn these people into zombies that's terrible well, I know. <laughs> well, thank goodness we've evolved in yes. the medical community. 3 a.m., the comedy horror podcast that holds weekly gatherings around the campfire. Let me tell you what you're going to get. You're going to hear stories about demonic possessions, prison stabbings, skinwalkers, glitches in the Matrix, cult leaders, missing 411, night marchers, Operation Paperclip, Mesopotamian devil worship, and so many monsters it'll give Kanye West a runaway for his money. Pop and meme culture also aren't off topic. A camp where laughs and scares are constantly competing for first place. We're just a group of friends trying to bust each other's balls, find the best stories, and expand the circle in the process. 3AM, the comedy horror podcast, not for the faint or fragile of heart. Let's go. Hello, this is Gary Chahot welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present. If you liked Mike Duncan's The History of Rome and wanted a similar program covering the land of beauty, culture, and love, we are exactly that. We also host world-renowned scholars who have delivered guest episodes on their specialties, including 18th century pirates, revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today. The truth about the Haditha massacre has been covered up, but not anymore. I know you know what happened. They went into houses and killed women and children. What are you thinking? What a mess. U.S. Marines murdered innocent civilians in cold blood. And at the center of it all is 25-year-old Sergeant Frank Wooderick. And me, Murder in House 2, a new podcast from Crowd Network. 
So, um, what about Clementine's story is real and what is a media fabrication? The evidence found in her room and the brain matter on her clothes suggests that Clementine did commit some murders, um, but maybe not all of them. Dr. Jeff Anderson, a history professor at the University of Louisiana Monroe, has said that either Clementine or someone in her house performed the majority of these murders, but that her confessions are so contradictory, I don't think she committed all the murders that she said she did. The question of Barnabet's accomplices and whether or not they were a part of some kind of voodoo cult has never really been answered. But I have my... I'm pretty satisfied that that had something to do with it. That's just... Uh, Okay. There was so much confusion about what was really going on, and the press did not help at all. Uh, The New York Times in March 1912 indicated that there was great fear in the black communities of the region. And there was. Mm-hmm. But in their article, they then focused on what the impact on the grain crops would be because of this fear and discussed the possibility of a sacrifice cult and then spent some time exploring the belief that a cult had not been the initial cause of the killings, What, but was a factor now. So get a load of the title of this uh, article. <laughs> Ready? <laughs> yeah. Extra, extra. Read all about it. <laughs> Negro terror may shorten rice crops. <laughs> we don't care about these people dying. What oh. we care about is the rice crops. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Well, yeah. T- time and place, I guess. Maybe yeah. that is the sentiment of, um, you know, I, I'm sure that... Um, I don't know. Economy is is everything. Money is everything in America. And so like anything that's going to affect these crops, I, I can understand um, the white community's frustration. But hello, these are people. <laughs> oh, good grief. <sighs> the, ignor- the ignorance of voodoo, hoodoo, and alternate religious customs added to the problem. Um, the crimes were not viewed as seriously as they might and uh, were clearly only a danger to the black population. No biggie, they're just Negroes. Religious crank uh, killing Negroes. Um, That was the headline in the Oklahoman um, February 20th, 1912. Golly, these publications and their greatest hits. I know. So (laughs) it it was a spectacle, but, you know, the people were just like, oh, religious cranks are killing Negroes. Oh, well. Oh, well. Wonder what's going on with the rice crops. (laughs) Jesus. (laughs) Uh, Most likely, if Clementine's race or class had been different, we'd be closer to knowing the truth. Amen? That's a fact. Mm -hmm. Um. Moving on, uh, strangely enough, there was more than one set of axe murderers ter- terrorizing Louisiana around the same time. What? Uh, yeah, nearby, the infamous axe man of New Orleans was at work. No, I and, did see that on American Horror Story. <laughs> yeah, and those killings have never been solved. Oh and uh, several decades earlier, a killer sometimes called the Servant Gil- Girl... Annihilator committed several axe murders in 1880s Austin, Texas, and those crimes have also never been solved. That's so nuts. 
I know. Um, <laughs> maybe there's maybe there's a cold case file out there that somebody could, somebody could open up. Uh, as for the other players in the story, Clementine's family and supposed accomplices, we couldn't find much information about uh, what happened to them. Sorry. We do know that Raymond Barnabet was arrested, tried, and convicted. Um, we don't know what happened af- uh, after that. Um, Zephyrin Barnabet, the brother, was arrested, but we are not sure what his fate was. And Ute or Uti and Darman Thomas were arrested after Zephyrin's confession, but what happened to them, we just don't know. So, uh, what made Clementine snap? Yeah, the easy answer is we don't know. (laughs) (laughs) When she was 17, she allegedly joined a cult called the Church of Sacrifice, which prompted the start of the murders that she committed. But some people say that the church never actually existed. However, she claimed that a priestess of the Church of Sacrifice had given her and her accomplices conjure bags that would grant them supernatural powers and make them undetectable to the authorities. She claimed that this spurred her into committing her first murder to test whether or not this was true. Well, the killer seemed to target people of mixed race and notably a number of white women who were either married to or in relationships with black men. According to some, the motive for the killings revolved around a verse from the New Testament Matthew 3.10, and now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. But uh, given the lack of real information that we have about Clementine, we will probably never know. Too bad. So, uh, what's, what's your takeaway, Beth? Uh, Well, this was a super confusing story (laughs) with lots of misinformation or confusing information. It's hard to know exactly what happened, what's true, what's not true. I think a lot of these murders were actually committed by someone else. Um, The Axeman of New Orleans, for example. Uh, He was never identified, he or she, (laughs) given the story. Yeah. (laughs) Or uh, someone else entirely who literally got away with murder unscathed. Yeah. Um, These axe murders were all happening around the same time. And they kept happening even after Clementine was in jail. Oh. Um, It's weird that all the murders are so similar. Mm -hmm. Whole families annihilated with an axe. Um, That tends to make you think that they were done by the same person or persons. Yeah. And I would actually tend to think that she didn't do any of them except for the blood evidence that was found in her home. And also, during the course of my research, I learned that the choice of an axe as a murder weapon was actually not all that uncommon at the time. In those days, an axe was often used, especially in cases of domestic murder, because nearly every family had one since wood had to be split for cooking and heating, and so it often became a weapon of convenience. 
Wait a minute, Beth. You don't think she did any of them? Um, I... I mean, the blood evidence suggests that she did. But, um... If not for that, I I would tend to think she didn't. Yeah. Interesting. Because I think um, she she got kind of a kick out of the notoriety. Oh. Yeah. So I'm yeah. not sure that she it, she might have done some of them, and and the blood evidence suggests that she did. Mm-hmm. Um, or her father did them and she got blood on her dress from her father or something. Mm-hmm. But I think she enjoyed the notoriety. I mean, she was nobody and all of a sudden she's getting all this attention. So, yeah, but not, I don't know. Not good attention. <laughs> no, but some people um, like any any kind of attention, especially um, she did not have a very good... Uh, Reputation? Family life. Yeah. And upbringing. I Uh mean, it sounded like she didn't... Her home life was not that great, and she was kind of abused. And, Mm -hmm. you know, sometimes people uh, with upbringings like that uh, will take any attention that they can get. Yeah. I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. Okay. So, yeah, I just think it's so hard to tell what happened just because it was so long ago and all the information is so confusing. I have no idea. Yeah. I. I, Okay. Let me tell you what I thought when I, when I, when I first read this story, I was like, man, is there like a axe Costco (laughs) around? Because so an axe and everyone, like everybody has an axe, but yeah, it makes sense. Um, when you look at the time and the place, um, I am pleasantly surprised at how, uh, the police eventually, uh, actually investigated the crimes, but we found out from those hot take headlines that it was because of the money that, um, could have been lost, but, <laughs> um, but these were crimes, um, and the victims were people of color and communities of color. And, um, I, I was, um, surprised pleasantly that uh the police didn't just seem to try to pin the murder on the uh, or the murders on the first black person that they came across um there was an investigation and a trial and all that sounds like it's in line with you know our justice system so it's it's on paper it's fair um clementine got a trial and so did her dad um but uh one thing to point out is that their jury their juror the juries were probably not made of made up of their peers um they're black as black people were not allowed to serve on juries or testify right. against white people um also they weren't allowed to testify against uh white people i uh okay so let me let me preface this uh i did not confirm that but that was okay. my understanding is that uh black people could not testify against white people at the okay. time um i have no idea when that changed Maybe it was around this time. I don't know. But I do know that that was a thing in our justice system at one point. Um, let's see. Where was I? Oh, okay. Also, at the top of my mind is that, um, and I don't know how 
how this exactly plays into the story, but the Emancipation Proclamation was established, ending slavery uh, just 44 years prior. So that's not um, life. Life in the South was, um, for lack of a stronger word, difficult in so many ways for these quote unquote free black people. And I suspect that um, black people were consistently on their guard and um you know, you could suffer um, violence at the hands of um, dangerous white people or get popped for a crime you didn't commit. So um, also, uh, I thought um, if she is the first known black female serial killer, why is there a movie about her yet? Yeah, yeah, that could be a pretty good movie about her. Yeah, for sure. Come I mean, through, the, all Taraji P. Henson. Crazy <laughs> details, voodoo and whatnot. <laughs> oh, I know. I know. I think I, this could be our next Black Panther. Um, <laughs> I, I just wish there was more information out there about the victims and the and and her and yeah, the story. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I wish, I, it, I wish it wasn't so confusing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, and that's all I got. All right. Um, so... Uh, I think it's tip time. If you love true crime and you don't want to die, here's a tip for you. (laughs) Okay, so one thing I do is, um, now we're not going to talk about the baseline rapist, or not the baseline rapist, the uh, East Area Rapist, um, because he's white. But one of the women I heard interviewed said, he got into her house after her husband backed the car out of the driveway and he slipped in through the garage. Oh, he, yeah. Her husband didn't make sure it was closed. Right. So um, I uh, get in the car and um, I have my hand on the ignition as I open the garage. And I always make sure when I back out that it's closed all the way before I drive away. Um, That's a good idea. And when I'm, if I am walking out of the garage to like, I don't know, check the mail or something, I, I, as soon as I, I open it, like I bend down to see if there's anybody there. Um, so I think that garage doors, um, I think we feel safe and secure because they're big and they close automatically and they're, you know, but um, I think it's an easy way for um, people to get in and out of yeah. your home if you're not careful yeah and actually um i don't i don't know i i have an old house so um the garage door is old mm-hmm. and you can uh push it open oh shit <laughs> yeah you can actually uh push it open if you wanted to so i i always make sure that the inner door is locked yes yes just in case just in case just in case and uh so i have neighbors who uh like open their garage door and they just forget to close it and it drives me nuts <laughs> do you do you text them or tell uh, them? yeah yeah okay, okay yeah but um it, it shouldn't it shouldn't bother me because yeah. you know it's not it's not my not my house my house (laughs) right but then i just worry (laughs) yeah well i mean all it takes all i mean it's so easy to slip in and out of somebody's garage my neighbor he was working on his garage and had it open for maybe five minutes like he forgot something and ran inside somebody stole all his tools in that five minutes crap yeah 
Um, I mean, so it just it, it is. And, and meanwhile, over here across next door at my house, there have been times where I've fallen asleep with the garage door opener in my pocket. And as I'm sleeping, the garage opens oh, up no. and thank goodness nothing was ever taken yeah we were okay but that's just the thing i i wasn't as into true crime back then so i wasn't as careful as i am now but yeah. anyway <laughs> <laughs> well good tip good tip i like it thank you so um so that kind of wraps up our story our takeaways and now we just want to give a chance to say thank you to people who have been listening to our show so so uh we got some feedback from a listener named claire uh, who is really enjoying the podcast. She gave us some constructive criticism as well, which I really appreciate because, Yay. well, this is our first podcast, so we're just learning the ropes. Um, so, you know, if you guys want to give right. us some uh, constructive criticism, that'd be great. Anyway, uh, Clara likes our music, and I wanted to let you mm-hmm. know, all know that you can find the music notes in our footnotes on each episode. Uh, and the intro music is by Alassin, mm-hmm. and it's called Abyss. Claire asked why we called our podcast Fruit Loops. Uh, well, as you probably know, the word Fruit Loop is common vernacular for someone who is, well, a bit off. <laughs> but also, uh, our name is a play <laughs> on the word cereal. Cereal killers versus cereal, like the breakfast food, so Fruit Loops. <laughs> And I have to give props to Wendy, who thought up the name. And as soon as she suggested it to me, I was like, yeah, that's it. <laughs> we didn't have any other discussions. <laughs> no, that was it. <laughs> Claire also asked what the basis is of our fascination with serial killers. And for me, I have always been fascinated with uh, the psychology. Um, not just serial killers, but crime in general. I'm not really sure why, but I think maybe uh, it scares me (laughs) because I don't understand it. (laughs) It's all so weird. (laughs) So I study it in order to understand it, and uh, somehow that makes me feel safer. I have come to the realization over the years that I will never really understand it, but it still fascinates me. And uh, because I have been fascinated with psychology, I'm, I feel like par- that's part of the reason why um, I'm, I'm pretty good at sizing people up, although I don't always get it 100%. And the people who really fascinate me are the ones who fool me. <laughs> so, Wendy, uh, what's, what's your uh, basis of your fascination? Okay, well, I feel like I will probably get um, a couple hate mails about this, but <laughs> in all honesty, it's another, it's the reason why I love intervention. Like, uh, no matter how terrible my life gets, at least I didn't get murdered today. So yeah, that's... <laughs> That's why I, that's why I love it. So, um, and I, and I also think it's fascinating, the psychology of it, I uh, think is really interesting. Um, and then um, I don't know why, but I, um, I've always loved blood and guts. It's just my thing. So I yeah. really, like, I really like the gory details. Um, and so that's always, it's just really interesting to me. Sorry, just clicks in my brain. <laughs> so that's it. For whatever reason. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
So um, I also wanted to say that Claire uh, likes how we present a lot of info, but still keep it interesting. And that's what we're hoping to do. Um, she also yeah, said that we sure. we got our point across about the need to be cautious because it is crazy out there. Anyway, <laughs> thanks, Claire. And if you yes, or anyone you. else have more constructive criticism, we'd be happy to hear it. That's right. We are learning and growing, trying to be our best sexy selves every goddamn day. We got um, some Twitter love from a couple of uh, other true crime podcasters that I did um, want to um, highlight. They are um, specifically POC podcasters, so people of color, true crime podcasters. Um, And... um, by the way, uh, before we started this show, I had heard in other podcasts how the true crime podcast community was like this lovey-dovey, everybody looking out for each other, uplifting each other. And it turns out I'm finding that to be true. Um, from the dudes at Affirmative Murder, I know, totally, at Affirmative Murder podcast, um, they have a great show. It's about true crime and they tell each other the true crime stories. It's kind of like a show that rhymes with sly, <laughs> slaver it, slurder. But um, with dudes? <laughs> They, but it's two black dudes doing it. Yeah. Uh, They said, hi, you gals have a lot of charisma. Keep doing y'all thing. And y'all are fun to listen to with a black (laughs) thumbs up. Amen. So thank you guys. And then um, there's the true crime podcast, criminal musings podcast. He um, shouted us out on Twitter, but he also did us. He slid into our DMS and uh, he um, said he was happy to see a new person of color led um podcast and he gave us some really helpful tips of, uh, about first things for us to think about being a new show yeah that's awesome um, and so we thank you so much um criminal musings podcast and affirmative murder pod so where can uh they find us they can find us at our website which is fruitloopspod.com mm-hmm. and our facebook uh we have a page uh, Fruit Loops Serial Killers of Color and uh, Fruit Loops Pod Discussion. Yeah, we so we'll have links um, to the sources that we talk about on our footnotes on the um, on the website, and you can find us on all of the things, all the social media things. Um, Twitter, well, Twitter and instagram sorry i just (laughs) and facebook we're fruit loops pod on on across all all platforms we don't do snapchat we are too old for that yeah so we don't don't understand i'm not interested in your snapchatting (laughs) (laughs) snapchat you um so thank you so much for listening now look alive guys it's crazy out here in these streets came and knocked on the door 
And I said, is it Renee? And he just gave me that solemn look. It was the worst day ever. The Proof Podcast is back with a new case and a new season. 23 years ago, 18-year-old Renee Ramos went missing. Her body was later found in an empty Home Depot building on the edge of town. I don't think that they arrested the right people. It's about time somebody's trying to do something. She had a black eye about two weeks before she was murdered. They are involved. They definitely had her body and her backpack. You know people are going to judge you, right? Of course. They're judging me now. They've been judging me damn near my whole life. You can listen now to season two of Proof wherever you get your podcasts. And follow along with us as we reinvestigate the murder at the warehouse. I have to ask, did you kill Renee? introduce you to Barry Clue, an authorised financial advisor from New Zealand and a very special kind of stain on humanity. He was a very uh, knowledgeable young guy. He was a registered financial advisor. Type of guy that was bending over backwards to help you. Now you could be forgiven for thinking that Barry sounds like a great guy and you'd be right. Well, right up until the point when you're wrong. It was all fictitious. You stole from my son who has a disability. Chris never knew. He died believing that we're all taken care of. A psychopath is somebody who lacks empathy, acts impulsively. I think there's a strong case that Barry might be all of those things, actually. To find out how Barry Clue stole over $15 million from 81 victims, subscribe to Clueless, the long con. That's Clueless, spelt K-L-O-O-G-H-L-E-S-S. 